1: Radical Russ
0: Melville.
2: Good day, tokers and toquettes and non toking lovers of liberty. It is Monday, January 25th, 2016, and it's got to be 420 somewhere in the world. Also had to be a little delay there while I got the microphone switched over from the Herb Thrasher show last Friday, but good to be here on this final week of January and our final week here at Rolla J Studios in beautiful legal potland, Oregon. Starting February 1st, I'm officially homeless. We'll be living on the road, that's right, going on the Legalize America tour all across the country, probably spending a lot of time in Phoenix as well. So we'll tell you all about that as it continues to uh, evolve here in my situation. Before we get on with the show today, though, I have to make mention, mention of the passing of one of the greats in the marijuana reform movement, and that is longtime leader of high times, Michael Kennedy has passed away. According to the obituary in CelebStoner.com by Steve Bloom, he died of complications from an illness in New York this morning. He was 78 years old. He was the lawyer for High Times founder, Tom Forsad, the notorious pot smuggler and rabble rouser who started the magazine in 1974. After Forsad's death in 1978, High Times parent company, Trans High Corporation, Operated as a trust until 2000 when the company was broken up into shares. Kennedy and his wife and Forsad's family retained control of the company with Kennedy being named chairman of the board. He was also TransHigh's legal counsel and during his extensive legal career, he defended the likes of Acid King Timothy Leary and Black Panther Huey Newton. And on a personal note, uh, it is Tom, I'm sorry, it is Michael Kennedy, excuse me, uh, who was a major supporter of my work uh, and my early writing with High Times Magazine. I believe it's through his encouragement that I've been appearing at uh, so many High Times events and writing for High Times online and in print, as well as the support of the magazine staff and editors. But I I truly believe uh, it was uh, Michael Kennedy who was the deciding vote in my favor. He was uh, very, very fond of my presentations with Normal on the box canyon of medical marijuana legalization. So thank you, Michael Kennedy, for having a hand in my career and the careers of so many who've come through High Times offices. You will not be forgotten. Ja. All right, on today's show, we finally get a chance to talk with Dr. Mitch Earlywine in the in the uh, 2016 uh, session here. We've been off a couple Mondays, but he joins us today for our Cannabis Q&A. Today, we're going to learn about that new study on marijuana and IQ. We're going to look at a new study on driving while high. We've got a new study on mar- medical marijuana and migraines, medical marijuana versus Alzheimer's, and medical marijuana versus epilepsy. So stay tuned. At half past the hour, we'll be asking those questions. Questions of Doctor Earlywine. Plus, you can call in live at nine seven one five three three seventy one eleven and ask your cannabis Q and A of Doctor Mitch. Coming up at the end of the show, we'll have time for a radical rant. The Mauer Marijuana Money Mess might malign Missouri. I am at the center of one of the biggest scandals to happen here in Portland, Oregon, marijuana, and we'll tell you all about that at the end of the show. Also, in Drug War Data Mining, Missouri True Legalization Campaign is evading financial disclosure laws, as well as reality. In Behind the Headlines, we'll show you why California's decrim and medical marijuana do not go far enough. But we start everything off right after this first break with the Cannabis Radio News. And in the news today, we've got headlines from Ohio, Kansas. Utah, Maryland, and Georgia. All coming up today on the Russ Bellville Show.
1: This is the Russ Bellville Show on CannabisRadio.com.
2: Attorney General Mike DeWine has, for a third time, rejected one group's effort to get a medical marijuana question on Ohio's ballot. DeWine said Friday he found at least five defects in the latest constitutional amendment proposed by Ohio Medical Marijuana Group, Medical Cannabis Care, LLC. He says the age for a medical patient to be considered qualified under the measure was listed as 21 in the summary and 18 in the amendment's full text. His office found the summary in full text contained other inconsistent statements. It concerned what information collected by the proposed Ohio Medical Cannabis Commission would be shared and with whom, what signs on medical marijuana dispensaries could look like, and exactly what would constitute medical use of cannabis. DeWine's earlier rejections were in July and October. The Kansas Senate's Corrections and Juvenile Justice Committee heard Navy veteran Raymond Schwab and other opponents testify about a bill that would soften criminal penalties for marijuana possession, allow for hemp oil to treat seizures and promote industrial hemp research. In tearful testimony last Thursday, Schwab said that he moved to Colorado to gain access to medical marijuana that remains illegal in Kansas. He added that the section of the bill allowing for medical hemp preparations to treat seizures was, quote, not enough, end quote, so he testified against it. Several other opponents echoed Schwab's concerns that the bill did not encompass their ailments, which ranged from chronic pain to depression. The dissenters said that a broader version of the measure could reverse rampant abuse of prescription drugs. Law enforcement representatives differed With the veterans, saying that the bill would be a gateway to legalizing all marijuana usage. Governor Gary Herbert said Thursday that it's common sense to allow people with certain medical conditions to use marijuana, signaling he's more open to a broader medical marijuana law in Utah. Utah has a very limited program allowing those with severe epilepsy to use cannabis extract oil obtained from other states. But the state's conservative lawmakers have been debating for the past year about whether to expand it. Herbert, a Republican, has in the past said that he'd consider a broader medical marijuana program, but worried it would allow recreational users to easily Easily obtain marijuana prescriptions he said Thursday that it's time for Utah to move forward on the issue but he wants any program to have strict control saying quote I'm not interested in having doctor feelgood out there say yeah yeah K pasa you know here's your doobie for the day and you'll feel better that's probably not where I want to go end quote Herbert said at his monthly televised news conference on kuED TV the Maryland Gen- General Assembly overrode several of Governor Larry Hogan's vetoes on Thursday, including his veto of a bill decriminalizing the possession of marijuana paraphernalia. Both the Senate and the House, which are controlled by Democrats, also had the three-fifths majority needed to override the Republican governor's veto of a bill to create a $300 threshold before authorities can seize money in criminal procedures. The measure to decriminalize both marijuana paraphernalia and smoking pot in public brought spirited debate in both chambers. Maryland decriminalized possession of less. Than 10 grams of marijuana in 2013. Supporters of the paraphernalia bill say it was designed simply to be consistent with that change. The measure makes smoking marijuana in public a civil offense, punishable by a fine of up to $500. State Senator Harold Jones II has proposed Senate Bill 254 to remove felony punishments for people caught with more than an ounce of marijuana in Georgia. Under SB 254, students would not lose scholarships or federal aid funding if they get convicted for marijuana possession. People convicted of possession also wouldn't have to lose their right to vote or serve on a jury under SB 254 as they would with a felony. Peachtree Normal Executive Director Sharon Raver said the country has already poured enough money into declaring war on illicit drugs. Quote, We waste $93 billion a year fighting this war on drugs. As Georgia continues the work on criminal justice reform, we would be remiss not to look at the one thing that entangles the most citizens in Georgia into the criminal justice system for the first time, cannabis. End quote. Jones' proposal is one of several weed-related pieces of legislation filed this session. Other proposals would be for legal CBD oil cultivation, industrial hemp, smokable medical marijuana, and legalizing recreational marijuana. This has been your Cannabis Radio News for Monday, January 25th, 2016. I'm Russ Belville.
8: More flavor.
1: This is the Russ Belleville Show, annoying Kevin Sabet since 2012.
2: Normal stands for Responsible Adult Cannabis Use. If cannabis use is causing problems in your life, consider taking a break or seeking medical assistance. Consider ceasing cannabis use if you have a family history of mental illness. Don't drive or operate heavy machinery while impaired by cannabis use. Cannabis use is not without risks even though the risks are far less than those posed by legal drugs. Imagine life without taxes. Let New Era Certified Public Accountants, NewEraCPAs.com, handle your cannabis 280E and tax strategy. Get your business prepared with New Era CPAs Cannabis Finance Boot Camp. NewErasCPAs.com. With years of experience in the industry, we are one of the nation's leading accounting firms for growers, dispensaries, and ancillary companies from Washington to California. NeweraCPAs.com. The world of
1: cannabis is evolving at a frenetic pace. The Russ Belleville Show gets behind the headlines to take a deeper look at breaking news in our Cannabis Focus.
2: Today in the Cannabis Focus, we take a look at the Orange County Register, where a sheriff in Orange County is saying that marijuana is essentially decriminalized already in California. Nothing to see here. Move along. No need for reform. Marijuana is already essentially decriminalized, according to the sheriff. Now, this is in response to some numbers that have come out of California, and particularly Orange County. Back in 2009, there were 7,440 misdemeanor marijuana arrests in orange county california that's 2009 five years later the last d- year we have data for 2014 that number had dropped 93 percent to just 548 we went from 7400 arrests and in five years brought it down to 548 arrests and that's largely thanks to the 2010 law that that uh, Governor Schwarzenegger, then Governor Schwarzenegger, signed to decriminalize an ounce or less of possession. And of course, that decriminalization law in 2010 came about due to the pressure from the legalization initiative, Prop 19, that looked ready to pass until Schwarzenegger passed the decrim. But the Orange County Sheriff, Sandra Hutchins, says, quote, Marijuana possession has fallen from a felony to a misdemeanor to an infraction. It's essentially decriminalized already in California, end quote. Now, this is the argument that the law enforcers in California are trying to build to stop the efforts for full marijuana legalization in California. They argue that legalization isn't going to keep anyone out of jail or prison that's not already being kept out of jail or prison. Because of the misdemeanor being reduced to an infraction. The problem with that is there were still 548 pot related misdemeanors that were, uh, that were busted in Orange County. There are still people going to jail and getting criminal records for marijuana. They like to claim that as long as the pot isn't packaged and labeled for resale, if it's not, you know, intent to deliver, which is still a felony, that most people just get a ticket and pay a fine. Now, understand that this is the case not just in Orange County, but all the way through the state of California, their pot related misdemeanors have dropped 90% statewide from 2008 to 2014. Also, felony marijuana arrests have gone down. In Orange County, they're down 31%. In California, they're down 22%. So this uh, goes to the point that I often make when people say, oh, legalizing six plants isn't enough. Legalizing an ounce isn't enough. No matter what amount you legalize, it leads to fewer arrests for those people who think that isn't enough. These felony arrests are people with large amounts of marijuana or large cultivation schemes. And those arrests dropped, again, 22% statewide. One out of five people in California that would have been busted in the past is not getting busted now. And that's just from decriminalization. So imagine how those numbers drop when you actually legalize the substance. Well, you don't have to imagine because we can look at the state of Colorado. In Colorado, the filings for all marijuana crimes have dropped Dropped by 80%. And that's considering in in Colorado where they legalized an ounce of possession and six plants of production, personal cultivation. Even when you look at the state of Washington, which remains a state that felonizes personal home grows, all of their crime uh, charges dropped by 63%. So in Colorado, four out of five people who would have been busted aren't busted anymore. And in Washington state, two out of three people that used to be busted aren't busted anymore. Even through the imperfect, incomplete, just isn't enough. One ounce legalization that both States have passed. Now the law enforcers want to try to make this a big, scary proposition. They want to point at all these numbers of increased uh, pot and driving in Colorado uh, without recognizing that just because you're catching more fish in the river, it doesn't mean there are more fish in the river. Could be that when marijuana wasn't legal, the cops weren't looking that hard at finding people who were driving while stoned. Now that marijuana is legal, and now in the states of Colorado and Washington, they've provided law enforcement officers with the unscientific and unjust tool of a five nanogram DUI limit, per se in Washington, rebuttable uh, presumption in Colorado. Now that they provided this new tool for catching the fish, what do you know? They're catching more fish. We're just as surprised they're catching more people for marijuana DUI as we would be if the fishermen went to the river with a net one day rather than a fishing pole. The biggest point here is we can't trust any of the numbers or any of the statistics that have existed throughout prohibition because prohibition itself is a confounder of what's going on. It could be the cops aren't looking as hard for people or we're looking harder for people now than they used to be back in the days of prohibition. So as these law enforcers continue to try to paint this picture they want to say that we didn't, don't need to move so fast, that it's no big deal, nobody's really going to jail for marijuana. But even decriminalization and medical marijuana, as it exists in California, ignores the most important point about legalizing marijuana, and that's legalizing the marijuana market. Decriminalization, in fact... Might do a disservice to public safety in that it frees up the consumers from worrying about the risk of possession without changing the risk involved in the cultivation and selling of marijuana. We just gave illegal weed dealers a whole bunch of less afraid clients. (laughs) at the possession level where the problems with prohibition really exist it's at that production trafficking dealing level where the cartels want to shoot out in the streets over turf and where the growers want to protect their clandestine grows with booby traps and armed guards that's the part that needs to be legalized happy 420 denver and boise will see you tomorrow
1: You're listening to Radical Russ on the Russ Belleville Show.
3: Ignite the conversation on some trending topics along the Cannabis Radio social media network. we <laughs>
2: One of the best sources of drug war data we have, politically speaking, are the secretary of state websites all throughout the nation that catalog the campaign financing for the various initiatives for and against the legalization of marijuana. But the Cannabis Restoration and Protection Act in Missouri, a.k.a. True Legalization or the Mo Crap Act, has come under scrutiny for possibly evading Missouri's campaign finance laws. Under the statutes, all political committees must report the name, address, occupation, and employer of anyone contributing $100 or more, either in a single donation or over the course of a campaign. The Columbia Tribune reports, quote, Unlike most other initiatives, the campaign has not reported donors or spending to the Missouri Ethics Commission. Instead, costs are being paid by the Cannabis Restoration and Protection PAC, incorporated for 25 bucks by Mark Peterson of Kirkwood. Organizer Nick Raines directed questions about the financing effort to Peterson, who did not respond to an email seeking an interview. Raines said, quote, the campaign is funded by everyone. It is volunteers. Basically, we're doing really well. And at last count, we were more than halfway there. End quote. Well, folks, this is not the first shadow funded all volunteer true legalization campaign I've covered. I've dealt with many a true legalizer in California, Oregon, Washington, Colorado, who year after year promised their pie in the sky initiatives would get on the ballot and pass. Now, I don't cast aspersions on such campaigns because I don't agree with their goals. I shine the light of reality on such campaigns because I've had too many friends waste time and money and get ripped off by such campaigns. Worse, I've seen too many tokers get riled up by true legalizers to fight against the professional legalization campaigns that have a shot at winning. Look, if you're running an all-volunteer campaign for marijuana reform in some place like Idaho or Wyoming, well, good for you, because that's the only public discussion of reform those states are going to get. But Missouri has a professional marijuana reform campaign, and it has a good shot at bringing medical marijuana to the state. If you're going to spend time and money chasing unattainable phantoms of legalization, when you could enact the actual reform of medical marijuana, which has been shown to be the predicate to marijuana legalization, well, I'm going to cast some aspersions your way. I recommended that when someone asks you for your time and money to support a marijuana legalization campaign, you ask them the following three questions. How well does your language poll? How much money have you raised? How many signatures have you gotten? And in light of this story, there needs to be a fourth question. Which professionals have you hired to run your campaign? If the true legalizers in Missouri can't even manage the basics of campaign finance disclosure, something that could seriously hamstring the campaign, you have to guess that the answer to that last question is nobody. It's nothing personal. I'd love it if true legalization could make the ballot and pass in Missouri. The only problem is this pesky thing called math. After numerous attempts to discern the answers to the first two questions, I've got nothing but stonewalling on the polling and the money. But the Columbia Tribune article and other commenters have suggested that this campaign is over, quote, halfway there, end quote, in gathering signatures for their amendment. Okay, let's do the math. They need about one hundred and sixty thousand signatures from six of eight Missouri congressional districts to qualify for the ballot by May 8th. Halfway there would be 80,000 signatures. But let's hope that's not what they mean, because realistically, they need about a quarter million signatures to account for what will surely be a validity rate of about two thirds. So halfway there would have to be one hundred and twenty five thousand signatures. Let's be generous and assume that's what they mean. Now, the pack that they're using to conceal the campaign funding was founded in mid-March. If that's their starting point, that's 10 months between then and now, and their halfway there works out to 12,500 signatures per month. There remain less than four months between now and May 8th, their signature deadline. So this all-volunteer shadow-funded campaign for true legalization could be expected to pull in another 50,000 signatures at 12,500 a month. So... They're halfway there to a quarter million means they've got 125,000 plus another 50,000. It's going to leave them about 75,000 short. They need a quarter million signatures. They got 15 weeks. If they've only got 125,000 now, they need 8,333 signatures per week. And even if they were able to get all those signatures and make it to the ballot, they then need the money to campaign for the initiative. And this is an initiative, folks. That proposes no limits on personal possession of marijuana, no limits on extract possession, no limit on how many plants you can cultivate, no age limit for any of that, no limits on the public display of marijuana, and believe it or not, actually makes legal driving and smoking pot at the same time. So we're supposed to expect that Missouri, a state that barely notches majority support for strictly taxed and regulated marijuana is somehow going to embrace legalization that allows a 16-year-old to drive around town smoking a quarter pound of pot. Don't waste your time with these true legalizers. Put your money and effort into New Approach, Missouri and actually accomplish something. Get medical marijuana passed in the state of Missouri. Oh, it gets so frustrating. And now I'm being attacked by these people who say I'm being paid to write hit pieces. (laughs) Folks, nobody tells me what to write. I do get paid to write, but nobody tells me what to write. All my opinions are my own and they would be the same whether I was getting paid to write them or not.
1: This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com.
8: Dr. Dabber, hurry. Its temperature is shooting past 1,000 degrees Fahrenheit. It's burning up.
1: The Russ Belleville Show is blogging and podcasting daily at RadicalRuss.com. Normal stands for Responsible Adult Cannabis Use. If cannabis use is causing problems in your life, consider taking a break or seeking medical assistance. Consider ceasing cannabis use if you have a family history of mental illness. Don't drive or operate heavy machinery while impaired by cannabis use. Cannabis use is not without risks, even though the risks may be far less than those posed by legal
2: drugs. Imagine life without taxes. Let New Era Certified Public Accountants, NewEraCPAs.com, handle your cannabis business e ADE and tax strategy. Get your business prepared with New Era CPAs Cannabis Finance Boot Camp. NewEraCPAs.com, with years of experience in the industry, we are one of the nation's leading accounting firms for growers, dispensaries, and ancillary companies from Washington to California. NewEraCPAs.com.
1: It's time for the Russ Belleville Show's Cannabis Q&A with Dr. Mitch Earlywine. Dr. Earlywine is a professor of psychology at the State University of New York at Albany and a leading author and researcher on cannabinoids and health who pins the Ask Dr. Mitch column for High Times Magazine. Get your questions ready in our live chat or call in to 971-533-7111
2: now. Welcome back, everybody. Thirty-two after the hour, and joining us from his igloo in upstate New York is Dr. Mitch Earlywine. How you doing, Dr. Mitch? <laughs>
0: I saw some <laughs> of those
2: reports. I mean, you guys got pretty socked in with snow, didn't you? Oh uh, no, we're just
6: north of it. Thank goodness. Oh. Uh, I got friends just a little south of here, uh, out of seventeen inches.
2: But wow, uh, we got spared this time. So this is one of those rare times where downstate's more socked in than upstate. And D.C. even caught it worse. So Yeah. All right. Well, good luck to all those folks out there. Our phone lines are open at 971-533-7111 if you got a question for Dr. Mitch. We've got some studies that have built up over these past three weeks that we're going to get to. But before we do, I have a question from our chat room, Dr. Mitch, from Jackie, who uh, wants to know about uh, the topical application of uh, medical cannabis preparations, both in humans and, and specifically for pets. Uh, she's got some dogs that could use some cannabis medicine, but they don't like to eat it, uh, even mixed up with treats. And she wants to know how effective it might be using it, uh, uh, topically on canines.
6: So transdermally cannabis is not an easy, uh, fit, you know, it's, uh, not like say those transdermal nicotine patches or anything like that. And unfortunately, because dogs are so hairy, it would be a real uphill battle to try to you know, find a bare spot and, and, and hope for the best on them. It seems like a waste of, of uh, a good topical, I'm afraid, and it would be a bit of an uphill battle. I think the, the low-dose edible approach may be a more efficient and potentially more effective route, even if you have to sort of sneak it in. The way you do other pills to dogs, yeah. So uh,
2: unlike the, say, the flea treatments where you put a little spot, you know, on their butt or their muzzle, this is cannabis isn't going to work that way.
6: It, it it certainly seems unlikely, and unfortunately, the only way that it can usually go through requires upbraiding that that sort of skin area, and that would just seem uncomfortable and torturous.
2: Oh, okay. So uh, let's go to some of these studies because I'm thrilled by this first one I want to talk about, and that's the the twin study that came out refuting the uh, favorite talking point of Kevin Sabet for the past three years that uh, you smoke pot as a teenager, you're going to lose eight points of IQ. Tell folks about this study.
6: Well, so it's interesting because that one that Kevin is always perseverating on, in that same data set, the kids who uh, smoked pot only once a week actually had a slight increase in IQ, <laughs> but nobody ever mentions that. And now uh, this one has over, <clears throat> excuse me, over 2,000 twins, and the users had to use on a daily basis for at least six months. Ooh. So we're not talking about minor, you know, cannabis involvement here. We're talking pretty heavy involvement. And the control person is your twin brother or sister. So it's pretty well controlled. And sure enough, we don't see any significant changes in IQ across the two groups. There's a slight decrease in general knowledge tests and vocabulary scores. And I want to emphasize the don't wake and bake and go to school, because I feel like this suggests to me, at least, that some folks with Memory function, not at its peak, it ended up going to school and missing out on learning what abstruse means and uh, not learning the capital of Maine. And I know those aren't necessarily everybody's favorite <laughs> topics, but it's important. Uh, we don't recommend teen canvas use, but the notion that it decreases IQ just does not have compelling empirical support.
2: Now, Kevin Sabet up on the Project SAM site was quick to refute this new data with uh, one of the original authors of that uh, New Zealand study who criticized the study by saying, yeah, 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 but it didn't look at kids, you know, all the way up into their 30s where we found the problems in the New Zealand study. Is this just grasping at straws, really? Oh, we seem to have lost Dr. Mitch on our connection. Let's see if we can get Dr. Mitch back on the line. But, uh, yeah, that's been the response from the, uh, the Project Sam people is that we would, uh, uh, be better off to wait even longer to make sure that these, uh, Kids don't end up showing any IQ deficits from their use of marijuana. Again, it seems kind of specious, but um, we'll get Dr. Mitch's take on that. We're going to see if we can connect him via Skype uh, now since the phone line doesn't seem to be working. Uh, I can imagine they're having all sorts of problems going on with their Internet connections and their cell phone connections out there in New York with the, the blizzard and all. But we are trying to get Dr. Mitch back on the line for you. In, uh, other news here, we have got a study that, uh, Paul Armentano from National Normal has brought forth. Uh, this is, uh, one that has to do with driving and, uh, perceptions of how stoned someone is in driving and their, we seem to have lost internet, so uh, we're not connected at all. We'll just uh, we're going to take a break, and maybe when the internet comes back, we'll have Doctor Mitch on the line. Stay tuned. You're listening to the Russ Belville Show on CannabisRadio.com. We're experiencing some tif- technical difficulties here in the studio. We will connect and uh, continue just as soon as possible.
1: This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com.
5: Gondrepreneur.com, your guide to the cannabis business world. Gondrepreneur.com is a comprehensive resource for cannabis professionals and entrepreneurs. Download the Gondrepreneur app on your smartphone or tablet to catch up on cannabis industry news, scroll through our daily job listings, and learn about successful cannabis companies, executives, and investors. Gondrepreneur.com. Helping Gondrepreneurs grow.
1: You're not high. You're listening to The Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. As it relates to my brother, there's one thing I know for sure. He kept us safe. Okay. Maybe you're high, too. Educator, author,
4: and advocate, Dr.
1: Mitch Earlywine is here
4: to
6: tackle the burning issues. And I'm here to clear up the myths about cannabis and burn them away with science.
4: CannabisRadio.com presents a no-holds-barred platform that seeks to redefine and revolutionize the entire scope of the cannabis culture while opening the door for more to join the cannabis crusade.
6: Dr. Kevin Hill... You can't ignore the fact that, like alcohol, most people who use don't have a problem. So I think that you need to think about policy in that way while educating people
2: properly about marijuana. I think that's the way to go.
4: Burning Issues, only on
2: CannabisRadio.com. All right. Welcome back, everybody. Our little Internet glitch seems to have cleared itself and we've got Dr. Mitch back on the line. Sorry for the interruption, Dr. Mitch. Things happen. Yeah, yeah. That's the way it goes. All right. So let me get back into our studies that we were discussing here because there's a whole bunch of good ones here. The latest one, our friend Paula Montano from Normal uh, shows us some data coming out of Colorado and Washington having to do with perceptions of danger for driving while stoned. What can we take away from this study?
6: I mean, the bottom line here is that, as you might guess, folks who you know, think cannabis is likely to have a negative impact on driving are much less likely to drive high. And it's uh, kind of a curious situation or a little bit self-evident, but spreading the word that you don't want to you know drive immediately within an hour of using is a good idea. And in truth... I would say the same about, you know, Benadryl or fatigue or even, God forbid, uh, too much alcohol. Uh, but generally what we see here is uh, as folks you know, see uh, driving as high as unsafe, they're much less willing to do so. And I feel like that's uh,
2: an okay habit to spread. Yeah, and and interesting out of this study, they found that the people who uh, found marijuana and driving to be dangerous, that was a much better uh, way of getting them to not drive uh, high than than trying to emphasize how bad the DUI laws were.
6: And and in fact, punishment, uh, everybody thinks they're never going to be the one that gets punished. And we've seen this with almost every law that we've ever passed, Uh, and in truth, uh, you know, the percent of people who drive high who actually are caught is uh, certainly markedly lower than uh, we might want, and in truth, it's not really about getting caught. It's about being safe. And we just want to kind of spread that word.
2: All right. Now let's look at some studies that have all sorts of good things to say about medical marijuana. This first one coming out of uh, Colorado University about uh, medical marijuana and migraines, which uh, hits pretty close to home with my wife having to going to the uh, emergency room last week for a killer migraine. What's this latest data tell us?
6: So this is interesting. and It's really a confirmation of things we've seen before in some of Ethan Russo's reviews. But the bottom line is, yes, medical cannabis really can decrease the frequency of migraines. And this is with a a sample that's really not particularly well-informed about it. So I feel like this is, in a way, kind of an underestimate. So they said, you know, they've gone from 10 a month to 5 a month, which I know sounds like, oh, my God, 5 migraines a month sounds terrible. But believe me, compared to 10, it's like being in heaven. And the clincher here is folks have to understand that the moment you get the flashing or any of those uh, subjective light senses that make you think, hey, I might have one coming on, run for the vaporizer right away. If you get too far along, it's much harder to intervene. And a small preventative uh, vaporized uh, hit is going to have a much bigger impact than a giant hit later on. So I feel like if we can spread the word about that, we could certainly see these Uh, migraines decrease in frequency even more.
2: Mm, All right. And while we're talking about medical marijuana in the brain, there's a study out about medical marijuana or specifically THC and its role in fighting Alzheimer's disease. We've heard of this for agitation of Alzheimer's, but is this one actually combating the disease itself?
6: Well, it's certainly a step closer in the right direction. We've got animal literature suggesting that THC really does, uh, sort of preserve neuron function in, a, in an intriguing and helpful way. This one uh, suggesting some of the correlated symptoms, although not necessarily the memory impairment, but things like that apathy and the the uh, sort of irritable aspects of it. Of course, an obvious improvement in sleep. And more importantly, the distress the that they cause the caregiver seems to drop when uh, folks get THC after they've been diagnosed with uh, Alzheimer's related dementia. And I feel like in many ways, this is uh, humane not only to the patients, but to the people who have to watch over them. And I want to emphasize too, that this was a daily administration of a really small uh, two and a half milligram uh, THC pill. And I feel like inhaled cannabis uh, may have certain advantages as far as uh, ease of onset, uh, it's hard to swallow when you've got <laughs> problems and you don't understand why somebody's throwing something down your throat. And so I feel like there's a lot more to be done here. And then, you know, the animal work suggests there may be uh, some anti inflammatory effects down the line that uh, in human studies uh, of a longer duration may. Uh, I find really encouraging.
2: That's great news. And our final bit of news here having to do with medical marijuana in the brain, uh, more confirmation of cannabis and its role in preventing seizures. Does this go beyond just the CBD stuff we know? Well, so
6: this one does use CBD and at it, some an impressive doses, and I feel like the coverage was, was uh, particularly humane. And they uh, published a big paper in the Lancet Neurology, 162 patients, which is, you know, one of the bigger samples, and they did see uh, reduced seizures at levels comparable to some other drugs that we have, but I think they're left out the fact that a lot of the other drugs have some pretty outrageous uh, side effects, whereas the side effects here, they're saying, oh, sleepiness and fatigue. Well, what a surprise. <laughs> We've seen that with CBD before, and if you time your dose well, you can actually use it in your favor and, and maybe get a better night's sleep.
2: All right. Well, folks, Dr. Mitch Earlywine is the host of Burning Issues here on CannabisRadio.com. You can catch that podcast every week. Who's coming up next on your show?
6: Good old Kyle Cushman finally getting a chance to be on the other side of the mic. He does a great job with his show, but I felt like... We weren't learning enough about him, so I, I turned the tables on as you and I did
2: once. All right. Looking forward to that on CannabisRadio.com. Check that out. Dr. Mitch joins us every Monday here for our Cannabis Q&A. And if you didn't get your question in, you can always ask it privately by sending an email to 420research at com. Dr. Mitch, thanks for joining us, and stay warm there in New York. You too. Thanks, Kylie. All right. Take it easy. And when we come back, we'll have time for our Radical Rant. Mauer's marijuana money mess might malign Missouri. Coming up immediately.
1: This is the Russ Bellville Show on CannabisRadio.com.
4: must wage what I have called total
1: war against public enemy number one.
5: I support a change in law to end
4: federal criminal penalties for possession of up to one ounce of marijuana. That marijuana,
1: pot, grass, whatever you want to call it. Is probably the most dangerous drug.
6: Some think there won't be room for them in jail. We'll make them. I experimented with marijuana at a time or two and I didn't like it and didn't in jail. One major responsibility is to encourage people to use less drugs. Entirely legitimate topic uh, for debate. Radical, Radical
2: rant. Maurer's marijuana money mess might malign Missouri. Or I'm thankful for legalization. I find myself in the eye of a hurricane story that threatens multiple layers of marijuana business and activism here in Portland, Oregon, and possibly the whole state of Missouri. Million dollar fraud lawsuit shakes the state's pot power structure. That's the headline at Willamette Week. It concerns the civil suit filed by Randy Quast, a millionaire businessman who transplanted to Portland from Minnesota against Travis and Leah Maurer marijuana activists who transplanted to Portland from Missouri and masterminded our legalization initiative at stake are allegations that the Mowers defrauded quest by misappropriating hundreds of thousands of dollars of quest investment in a shared marijuana grow and dispensary business quest alleges Travis Maurer then used the money to pay for the Maurers own bills and debts as well as paying down debts for his other ventures like The Weed Blog, a well-trafficked marijuana news source run by Jeff White and Chris Young. White and Young are also suing Maurer in civil court for $51,000 for misappropriation of funds. And just this week, a third lawsuit emerged by Witsit Rice against Maurer for $125,000 over a loan Maurer stopped replaying. The Weed blog and the text messaging code 420420 are part of assets that Quest alleges Travis Mauer put up as part of their deal. Quest now seeks those assets in addition to the hundreds of thousands of dollars unaccounted for in a gross site that never existed and an empty dispensary that's never opened. But it gets worse. And you can read all of this for yourself in the lawsuit. I'm not telling tales out of school here. This is all public domain information. Quest is also seeking a million dollars damages for defamation and slander by Travis Maurer. Quest alleges that Maurer told numerous people within the movement and industry that Quest was an alcoholic pedophile. Quest says he has an email from Maurer to White and Young saying Quest quote, is a fucked-up drunk that likes little kids, end quote. So, now for the full disclosure. I personally know as friends and have benefited from the generosity of everybody in this story except Witsit Rice. Randy Quest is not only the co-founder with me of the Portland Chapter of Normal, he's been the major funder of the organization, He'd done the same in co-founding Minnesota Normal and funding that organization. He's donated tens of thousands of dollars to National Normal and sits on its board. He moved to Oregon for legalization, as living in Minneapolis with his conviction for felony possession of marijuana was becoming increasingly uncomfortable. Additionally, Quest is my dear friend and diehard supporter. He's covered the flight and hotel costs for numerous events that I've covered, including the time he flew me out to Minneapolis to interview Sir Richard Branson. And remember that time I got busted for possession in Utah? Quest is the man who covered my assistant's $4,000 bail. Jeff White and Chris Young have been longtime supporters of my work as well. White has provided free server space and other tech support for my radicalrust.com and 420radio.org sites for years. Young has long promoted my writing on the weed blog, which has named me and Tom Angel of marijuanamajority.com the co-online activists of the year for three years running. And I've known Travis Maurer since my firing from normal in May of 2012 it was Maurer who bought me the first equipment I used to create National Cannabis Radio. He funded it for about three months. Then I began self-funding it and it evolved into 420 Radio. Maurer hired me for freelance writing gigs from time to time and let me use text rust to 420, 420 as a promotional campaign. And during the fight for Oregon's legalization, Maurer introduced me to many people in the campaign. So, As you can see, I've got more conflicts of interest than Bill Clinton taking a donation for Hillary's presidential campaign from an attractive 25-year-old Syrian female gun lobbyist in a bikini. (laughs) Oh, and speaking of awkward optics, it gets worse. Nearly every picture running in the media of Travis Maurer features him wearing a Drug Policy Alliance t-shirt, or DPA. DPA is at the forefront of legalization efforts and is a major contributor to the California Sean Parker Initiative. At last year's International Drug Policy Reform Conference in Washington, D.C., DPA's Asha Bandele exhorted people to text clemency to 42420 and lavished praise on Travis Maurer's activism. DPA head Ethan Nadelman has also been very complimentary about Travis Maurer's contribution to legalizing Oregon at the International Cannabis Business Conference in San Francisco. In print, Nadelman called Maurer's pitch for 2014 Oregon legalization, quote, The best presentation I had ever seen a local activist provide about a potential ballot measure, end quote, which convinced DPA to put $1.8 million into our successful campaign. Mauer was brought to Oregon by Anthony Johnson, who you may remember was the chief petitioner of the Measure 91 legalization campaign for marijuana here in Oregon. Johnson encouraged his friend Mauer to move out west when Maurer couldn't find work back at home in Missouri, thanks to his felony conviction for growing commercial marijuana behind false walls in the home he shared with wife Leah and their two young boys. Speaking of Leah Mauer. She has since become the co-founder of the Portland, Oregon chapter of Women Grow, the popular national business networking and activist group. Portland's chapter boasts of being the largest and fastest growing in the country. In her bio, she is still listed as the co-owner of the weed blog, which Quast alleges cannot be true since the money used to buy the Maurer's interest was actually Quast's misappropriated money. And speaking of Missouri... Quast alleges that Travis Maurer was using some of those grow and dispensary business funds towards the emerging campaign to legalize medical marijuana in Missouri. That effort, new approach, Missouri uses the same branding as Johnson's Oregon campaign. That campaign is headed by Quast's fellow national normal board member and Missouri normal head, Dan Vietz, who has worked with and praised Maurer's involvement in legalization. Furthermore, Leah and Dan Vitz share spots on the board of Show Me Cannabis, the Missouri reform group supporting New Approach Missouri that Travis Maurer helped create. So, here I am, in the eye of this hurricane, and the only opinion I can muster is this. I am so thankful for marijuana legalization. Because when the large-scale growers under prohibition are involved in million dollar disputes. They don't settle them in courtrooms. They settle them with AK-47s. They settle them with turf wars. They settle them with violence. I've got friends on every side of this, of these lawsuits and more friends who will be impacted by the results of these lawsuits, no matter how they turn out. From an optical point of view, having someone who has been praised by national reform leaders like Ethan Nadelman as the mastermind of our Oregon legalization, only to have them referred to in now three different lawsuits involving misappropriations of funds, fraud, and in the case of Randy Quest lawsuits, slander and defamation claims over calling someone a pedophile, with absolutely no evidence in uh Quass background to justify such a claim, things are getting a little scary and crazy out here in the state of Oregon. And it only leads our opponents to believing all of the negative stereotyping that has uh, come our way for years and years in the Willamette week story, right below their headline that says million-dollar fraud lawsuit shakes the state's pot power structure, they have a subheading that reads, Lawsuit against Leah and Travis Maurer is an unwanted blast from marijuana's past. No, it's not. Nothing like this occurred in marijuana's past, because in marijuana's past, we couldn't take this to court and solve it civilly with lawyers. The blast from marijuana's past would have been drive-by shootings. The blast from marijuana's past would have been assaults, would have been all manner of illegal and untoward actions from one party to the other. I've been asked for numerous quotes about this uh, in the Willamette Week piece. The uh, reporter asked me as the executive director of Portland Normal how I thought this marijuana mess, uh, marijuana money mess was going to affect the efforts for legalization and pushing for indoor marijuana lounges and changing city zoning rules. How would this how would this scandal affect those efforts? How would these divisions in marijuana reform affect our ability? I just laughed at the reporter and told them that efforts in this state have been divided long before Travis Maurer showed up. Yes, folks, marijuana does not make someone a shady capitalist, but some shady capitalists are involved in marijuana. This is the kind of stuff that we're going to have to keep our eye on. Because this marijuana green rush is going to bring all sorts of people out of the woodwork trying to make a fast buck. And not all of them are going to have the best of intentions or the best of ethics. Not making any judgment one way or another because, hey, I might have to testify in some of these cases. It's all the time i got for this hour, but stay tuned. We're up next in Hour 2. Until then, take care of each other, tokers.
1: This is the Russ Belleville Show. The Rust Belleville show is blogging and podcasting daily at radicalrust.com.
6: You take a scene, you man it, you grow it, you try it, you roll you just one.
1: You take a scene, you man it, you grow it, you
6: try it, you roll you just one. You take a scene, you man it, it, you grow it, you try it, you roll in you one. Get in it, it go down to earth.
1: Toker Talk Radio, the voice of the marijuana nation. What are you people? On toke? Or you can toke. I am here. Or you can talk. Uh,
6: I experimented with marijuana and didn't inhale. Or you
1: can toke and talk. 10 federal criminal penalties for possession of up to one ounce of marijuana. While we talk about toke on Toker Talk Radio.
4: So, by the way, when it comes to pot, you know, if you're 40
1: years old, you live in a log cabin in Oregon, you get 12 giant pot plants in your backyard have a ball. Live from beautiful Portland, Oregon, at Rolla J Studios. Freedom!
8: Freedom! Hey, great. Freedom!
1: Yes, I a of it! Plus, your calls live at 971-533-7111.
4: They're walking on their pants with their cap on backwards. Listen to the animal man, the Snoopy, Snoopy poop dog. What's to keep somebody from getting all potted up on weed and then getting behind the wheel? Gateway theory doesn't work. It's a reality.
7: Holland, is it real? Don't oh,
2: Welcome back, tokers and tokens and non-token loggers of liberty. Radical Rust here in our final Monday at Rolla J Studios here on at Northeast Fremont, seventy fifth in Portland, Oregon. It's my last week in this house. I will be officially homeless as of February first. <laughs> That's right, homeless boat po- folks. Casting my lot upon the waters going from state to state, town to town to uh, embrace the legalize America tour. And uh, I will be somewhere near you perhaps. So follow me at radical Russ. If you'd like to uh, keep track of where I'm at and uh, maybe if you got a couch, I can sleep on, that'd be cool too. But uh, all sorts of stuff to talk about here in hour two, we're going to talk about pot DUIs up in Denver. Also, we've got uh, a little mini rant on capitalist marijuana legalization. Eight, a- terrifying story out of california where some violent escaped inmates are on the loose and one of them cut the penis off of a dispensary owner yeah so we'll talk about that uh we've also got our second canadian man being imprisoned for life for doing what people are doing legally in four states now and uh a story from the internet uh As Instagram is warning young females like our friend Coral Reefer not to post pot smoking selfies because it'd be against the law. (laughs) Okay. And uh, Nebraska still whining about uh, marijuana from Colorado. We'll get to all of that. But uh, before we do, I do want to uh, mention that next show, tomorrow's show, I'll be coming to you live from Boise, Idaho, back to my home stomping grounds. As part of my uh, Legalize America tour, I'm appearing at the Boise State University Jordan Student Union Ballroom in a marijuana town hall meeting that takes place tomorrow, 7 o'clock Mountain Time. We'll try to stream it live here on CannabisRadio.com. But I'll also be doing my live show from uh, Boise as well. So looking forward to that. Now, uh, before we get too deep into the show, here's some quick good news. You know how on this show we cover a lot of stories where cops kill dogs, where these cops kill dogs as part of a drug raid, you know, no-knock raid. The first thing you do is shoot the dog so they can prove what big, bad men they are and uh, scare the hell out of, you know, the family into complying. Well, in Colorado, uh, in the Denver area, Commerce City... The city of Commerce City has just paid two hundred and sixty two thousand five hundred dollars to a family whose dog was killed by a cop. So good news there. Better if the dog was alive, but two hundred quarter million dollars, over a quarter million dollar settlement. Uh, the Animal Law Center uh, filed a civil suit in this case. What it was is their three year old dog, Chloe. This wasn't even a drug case. Uh, Chloe was killed November 24th, 2012. When police were called to a commerce city neighborhood about a dog running loose, police tried to capture the dog with catch poles and used a taser before officer Robert price shot the dog five times. A neighbor recorded the incident and posted the video on social media, quickly sparking questions and anger from animal advocates and pet lovers. Price was acquitted in October, 2013 by an Adams County jury of aggravated animal cruelty in the shooting. So he didn't face any criminal penalties but Commerce City is out $262,000. Do you want to bet? None of that comes out of the officer's pay, right? The taxpayers end up being on the hook for this officer shooting a dog to death just because it was running loose. All right, we're coming back with Tales of Nebraska and Instagram when we come back. This
1: is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com.
0: with Orange Hill. Contact Orange Hill for a consultation today at OrangeHillDevelopment.com.
1: The Russ Belleville Show. Chat is for friends 18 and older. We expect our chat to be civil, mature, and free from excessive profanity. If you don't like these rules, there are approximately 6 billion other chat rooms with lower standards that you can visit.
7: Cannabis Confidential with Dr. Dina.
5: Candid. I want to give you the inside story. Captivating. I want to introduce you to my kind and amazingly talented friends. Compelling. We get to meet some of the most amazing cannabis activists and warriors around.
2: The Fingerboard Extension has fretted instruments to enhance your creativity. It has new and used guitars and banjos from beginning to high class. The Fingerboard Extension has National Resophonic, Hudson, Dalton, Larrabee, Heritage and Recording King Guitars, and Mike Ramsey, Wildwood, Gold Tone, and Recording King Banjos. The Fingerboard Extension also has drum stuff, used gear, and parts. Stop by the Fingerboard Extension, downtown Corvallis, Oregon, at 120 Northwest 2nd, or check out the inventory on the web at fingerboardextension.com and reverb.com.
1: There's more to life than marijuana. I just can't remember what it is. Why'd I come in? You're tuned into the Russ Bellville Show, the voice of the marijuana nation, only on CannabisRadio.com.
2: Welcome back, everybody. Nine after the hour. And uh, I hope you got to see some of the football games this Sunday, the championship games. That led to the Denver Broncos facing the Carolina Panthers in the Super Bowl in less than two weeks now. Ah, do you realize since marijuana was legalized in Colorado and Washington, either the Denver Broncos or the Seattle Seahawks or both have been in the Super Bowl? Marijuana, the gateway to the Lombardi Trophy. <laughs> It was tough for me watching these games too, because like you had you had Peyton Manning and the Broncos against uh Tom Brady and the Patriots. And I despise Tom Brady and the Patriots. I do I have to give reasons? Reasons aren't necessary, are they? I despise Tom Brady and the Patriots. But I also have a very strict anti-manning policy. (laughs) I'm against all Mannings. Peyton Manning, Eli Manning, Archie Manning. That brother, there's Cooper Manning. They never talk about what's he up to. I think the only Manning I like is Chelsea Manning. But anyway, it was tough for me because I didn't know who I wanted to win or lose that game. You know, because I disliked both teams just and both quarterbacks pretty close to equally. So it coming down to Tom Brady failing to make the Super Bowl by completing a improbable uh, comeback that required a two-point conversion because their kicker mixed, missed an extra point, I think that's as good as it could have got for me. I think that's as good as it could have got. And on the other side, the other side was interesting because, you know, I don't like Cam Newton much uh, for SEC reasons, but I don't mind the Panthers. Uh, but the Arizona Cardinals, of course, knocked my Green Bay Packers out of the playoffs, so I wanted to see them lose. So I guess it was satisfying to see them get pretty much blown out of the water. In the game, so the Super Bowl set Carolina Panthers and Denver Broncos. I've got to root for Carolina because, again, my anti Manning policy. But enough about football. Let's get back to talking about marijuana. Where there's a story out today, and and I see these stories all the time. I very rarely uh, bring them to you because there's so many of them. Of so and so busted on the freeway with X pounds of pot. Like I could do that story every day. Right. It's not it's really not news. This just in prohibition still in effect. Right. <laughs> so, I mean, there's not a whole lot to add. But this one, I think, was kind of interesting because it's the Nebraska sheriff. It's a sheriff in Lancaster County, Nebraska, one of those western Nebraska counties that's up against uh, Colorado. They busted a 68 year old Colorado man. With 515 pounds of marijuana in his pickup truck. 515 pounds of marijuana. Now, the authorities are saying that's $2.5 million worth of marijuana. So, let's do the math. 2.5 million divided by 515 pounds means they're talking about $4,854 pounds. Who the hell in Colorado is paying $4,854 a pound for marijuana. Nobody. Nobody. Now, of course, what they're doing here is they're calculating the entire break, uh, the street value, which they break it down all the way to eighths, right? So if it's 48.54 a pound, you divide that by 16, you're going to get yourself $303 an ounce, you see. That's where they're getting it from. They're breaking it down to the ounce level. And if we break that ounce down to eighths, of course you're gonna get uh thirty seven ninety-two an eighth, forty bucks an eighth, right? So that's how they come up with those those two point five million dollars. Now they also found marijuana, a pipe, and four thousand four hundred forty-one dollars in the cab of the truck. But they're uh investigating this, these caught on I-80, and uh they found four U-Haul moving boxes four large duffel bags and a large tote full of marijuana. And this dovetails into their lawsuit, you know, that these uh, Nebraska and Oklahoma are a part of. Oh, I'm sorry, Lancaster County is in eastern Nebraska. My bad. I said it was one of those counties up against uh, Colorado. My bad. Other side. Other side of the state. It's where Lincoln, Nebraska is. But uh, anyway, they've been complaining that the prohibition... In Kansas, in Nebraska, in Oklahoma, these states have been complaining that their prohibition can't work. Our prohibition can't work because Colorado's got these liberal policies on weed. And it always kind of just, and this is what they're asking the Supreme Court. They're saying, hey, Supreme Court, look, you gotta, you gotta shut down, you gotta shut down Colorado's legalization because we can't enforce our prohibition. And that argument bugs me coming from the people who are making it because the people who make this argument tend to be your conservative types right and they're complaining to the federal government that a, div- a state next to them did something that they don't like and so the fed should step in and tell that state what to do are you feeling the hypocrisy yet Are you feeling the whole angle of, hey, wait a minute, aren't you conservatives the ones that are always saying states' rights? Aren't you the ones like in Nebraska and Kansas that keep saying that your state ought to have the right to restrict abortions or ban gay marriage? And you get all upset that the feds come in and tell you that you have to do it this way or that way? But now you want the feds to come in and tell some state they have to do it this way or that way when it comes to weed. Do they not think these things through? If you permit this sort of reasoning that says one state's liberal marijuana laws are negatively impacting another state's more restrictive marijuana laws, wouldn't that same logic apply to one state's liberal gun laws negatively impacting another state's more conservative gun laws? Now, I'm not weighing in on the gun thing again, not in this debate, or for that matter, the other things that I mentioned, gay marriage or uh, abortion rights or anything like that. Although I think you're pretty clear where I stand on those things. My question is more about the consistency of the reasoning. You can't have it both ways, Nebraska. You can't get up all upset about how one state is using its state's rights when you're the ones who are often complaining that you don't get to use your state's rights. Let's be consistent about that and recognize that when we're talking about marijuana, unlike guns, unlike abortion, we're talking about something without a victim here. So uh, that's where I've got. A problem with nebraska and this sheriff the story is up on the denverpost.com if you'd like to weigh in uh just something that was really bothering me i wanted to get it off my chest and another thing that's bothering me is a story out of fox news and it's entitled young women in pot-themed instagram memes at risk experts say There's a new Instagram meme where scantily clad young women post photos of themselves smoking pot and using pot-themed hashtags to attract fans and likes. Oh, it's new. (laughs) Fox News has just figured it out. It's 2016. Fox News has just discovered Bud Babes on Instagram. Congratulations, Fox News. Way to be on top of it. But anyway, they go on to talk about Instagram's basic guidelines, which say you may not post violent, nude, partially nude, discriminatory, unlawful, infringing, hateful, pornographic or sexually suggestive photos or other content via the service. So Fox News goes and speaks to Patricia Dorso Dejamco, who's retired DEA and part of a private investigation firm now. And she says the following. She says, quote, No persons should be posting pictures of themselves smoking pot and using pot-themed hashtags to attract fans and likes in any state. Even though 23 states have legalized medical marijuana and four states have legalized recreational marijuana, marijuana remains illegal federally. End quote. She says the women using these pot memes, quote, People who post pictures of themselves could potentially face criminal charges, although as an investigator, I would like to obtain additional evidence to support the illegal activity before I present the case to a prosecutor, end quote. Yeah, and so part of their uh, part of her um, uh, defense of this, this ex-DEA person, is that one minimizes their potential employment and earning capacity, which may in the end affect their life. In addition, for instance, in a child custody battle, the pictures of anyone conducting any illegal activity or questionable moral turpitude could affect the outcome of custody. Yes, that's what we're fighting. See, the thing that's bothering me about this is that you're telling young women like Coral Reefer, like Stony Sochi, like, uh, who's the lady they got in this one? Uh, girls who smoke weed, that their legal act. That taking a photo and distributing a photo of something they're doing legally in Oregon, Washington, Alaska, or Colorado is something they need to be aware of. Do we get these kind of warnings that young women shouldn't wear crop tops or bikinis and post photos of themselves drinking beers on Instagram? Oh, no, I forgot, because that's not federally illegal. They always come back to the federally illegal. Well, you know we got a federal right to free speech, too, don't you?
6: I object to all this sex on the television. I mean, I keep falling off.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Objecting to sexy girls on Instagram smoking weed. Might as well close down Instagram. We're going to take a break. Happy 420. I hope you got something enjoyable with smoke. We're going to hit on some more of this Durban poison. And we'll come back with some crazy tales out of California.
8: More
6: flavor.
1: You're not high. You're listening to the Russ Bellville Show on CannabisRadio.com.
6: We need to build a wall.
1: Okay. Maybe you're high, too.
7: This is Cannabis Facts from Robert Platschorn's TheSilvertour.org. Supported by our donors and Hemp Inc., poised to lead America's hemp revolution at hempinc.com. In 1937, the second most prescribed medicine, marijuana, was banned. It wasn't about marijuana. The paper, oil, and chemical industries lobbied to end hemp farming. No longer labor intensive, an acre of hemp produced more quality paper than four acres of trees. Plastics and fibers could be produced from a plant. Hemp can even produce 10 times the energy of today's ethanol. As marijuana prohibition ends, many states now allow farmers to again grow hemp. This was Cannabis Facts from SilverTour.org, an educational nonprofit supported by our donors and Hemp Inc., a public company poised to process America's hemp crop at hempinc.com.
2: Imagine life without taxes. Let New Era Certified Public Accountants, NewEraCPAs.com, handle your cannabis business ADE and tax strategy. Get your business prepared with New Era CPAs Cannabis Finance Boot Camp. NewEraCPAs.com, with years of experience in the industry, we are one of the nation's leading accounting firms for growers, dispensaries, and ancillary companies from Washington to California. NewEraCPAs.com.
1: Warning, hits taken on this show are larger than they appear. Do not try this at home. These people are professionals.
8: <laughs>
1: or at least they pay me to say
2: that. This is the Rush Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. All right, welcome back, everybody. Remember, coming up at the top of the hour, Stoner Jesus, 5 o'clock Pacific, 8 o'clock Eastern Time. And then tonight at 9 o'clock Eastern... Although it it might be hard to know because of how little Debbie Wasserman Schultz wants these things advertised, but there's a Democratic town hall tonight on CNN. Bernie Sanders, Hillary Clinton, Martin O'Malley, all meeting at a Democratic town hall in Iowa just a week before the Iowa caucuses, where the news is that Bernie Sanders has opened up an eight-point lead in Iowa. And a 22-point lead in New Hampshire. That's big news, folks. Back in 2007, when the Iowa caucus, 2008 Iowa caucuses, you know, Hillary Clinton was supposed to be the anointed presidential, you know, nominee for the Democrats. And uh, Barack Obama came out of nowhere, beat her in Iowa, and uh, finished close in New Hampshire. That, of course, led to Barack Obama winning the uh, nomination in the presidency. Hillary Clinton's facing a worse situation now with Bernie Sanders possibly winning the first two primary states and thus getting his name recognition out there to make a run at the Democratic nomination. The national polls still stand. The CNN's latest national poll still stands at Hillary Clinton with 52 percent. Bernie Sanders with 38 percent. That's a 14 point gap. But keep in mind, Hillary Clinton used to lead this by what? 40 points. 30 points, something like that, some big number. So she is feeling the burn. Bernie Sanders is closing the gap. As more people become aware that he's the uh, democratic candidate that actually wants to change this system. Hillary Clinton just wants to protect it. And of course, uh, Bernie's on our side when it comes to descheduling scheduling marijuana. So big Bernie, Bernie Sanders supporters on the democratic side here on the Republican side. If I got to pick anybody, I'd got to pick Rand Paul. He's got the best uh, marijuana stand of any of the Republicans out there. So that's the Democratic Town Hall meeting taking place tonight. Six o'clock Pacific Time, nine o'clock Eastern on CNN. Check that out. Now, I wanted to talk a little bit about this story out of Canada. We reported last week of how um, a Canadian man was sentenced to life in prison for a nonviolent marijuana offense. Well, today, a second Canadian man has also been sentenced to life in prison for running a marijuana trafficking ring that rang up over $47 million in sales over four years. As a federal court case. Federal jury convicted Mickey Woods already, uh, but now has convicted Gaetan Danell. He's age 42 and will spend the rest of his life behind bars in Canada. They were running an international marijuana smuggling ring out of Canada through a, uh, Native American nation that straddles the Canadian and American border. And then they were uh, getting their weed sold all throughout, uh, the Northeast corridor there. So the, uh, the, the charge here is with running a continuing criminal enterprise over $10 million, right? Now, they're actually lucky. What I need to that. What they're actually lucky. Let me get you the federal uh, penalties for marijuana from the normal website. And uh, you can find this at normal.org and the uh, it's under normal.org slash laws slash item slash federal dash penalties dash uh, two. That's a messy acronym, a messy URL, but you can find it on normal side if you just Google and uh, the federal penalty. For uh, the cultivation of a 1,000 plants or more felony, 10 years to life. Sales and distribution felonies, 10 years to life. Mandatory minimum sentences. But this is something that you got to know. For the more than $10 million in gross receipts during any one particular year, the defendants are subject to that. Mandatory minimum of this life in prison that they're getting. But there still exists on the US federal code a death sentence for marijuana. These guys could have gotten the death sentence. Here's what normal site says. The sentence of death can be carried out on a defendant who has been found guilty of manufacturing, importing, or distributing a controlled substance if the act was committed as part of a continuing criminal enterprise, but only if the defendant is, one, the principal administrator, organizer, or leader of the enterprise, or is one of several such principal administrators, organizers, or leaders, that is a kingpin, which these guys were, and two the quantity of the controlled substance is 60,000 kilograms or more of a mixture or substance containing a detectable amount of marijuana or 60,000 or more marijuana plants. Or if the enterprise received more than $20 million in gross receipts during any 12 month period of its existence. Okay. So you know what? I'm sorry. I misspoke. They were getting let's see, 47 million over four years, but did they make more than 20 million in any one year? did they do any more than 60,000 kilograms in any one year? Apparently not because they weren't eligible for the death sentence. It's just, it blows people's minds sometimes when I tell them the United States is one of nine countries in the world that has a death penalty for marijuana. Now it's never been used. Nobody's been sentenced to death for marijuana in America. And constitutional scholars tell us that if someone did get sentenced to death for this marijuana situation, that it would most likely be found unconstitutional under the Eighth Amendment as cruel and unusual punishment. That may be why prosecutors don't seek the death penalty. Keep it there as a bargaining chip, but it's really a bluff because you knew if you ever used it, it would be found unconstitutional. The uh, lawyer argued still that the life sentence was cruel and unusual punishment because, quote, The experience thus far has not indicated any harm to the communities involved. In fact, governments are regulating and taxing the legal sale and distribution of marijuana, creating millions of dollars for the improvement of education and other services in those states, end quote. So, uh, yeah, according to the authorities, they sold more than 22,000 pounds of high-grade marijuana, 22,000 pounds in kilograms... Let's see, 22,000 pounds in kilograms is, uh, 10,000 kilograms. So yeah, they didn't have the, uh, they, they didn't have the, the number they'd need for the death penalty anyway. Still, does it blow your mind to think that yes, there is a death penalty for marijuana in this country? A death penalty for doing things that lots of legal growers and sellers are doing in Colorado and Washington already and will soon be doing in Oregon and Alaska and will likely be doing in California, Massachusetts, Nevada, Maine, and uh, Arizona, that's the other one, Uh, by 2017. And what kind of future awaits these guys serving life in prison as they watch state after state after state end? their punitive marijuana laws to legalize what they had been doing. I remember talking to Robert Platshorn about being in prison as you know, prop uh, 19 was on the ballot he was uh, just out of prison supporting prop 19. And, and I asked him, what was it like being in prison watching all these medical marijuana laws pass and people growing legal amounts of weed stuff that you were busted for. And it just, it just tears at them. What a terrible, terrible thing. And speaking of terrible, terrible things, how about this other story? The escaped inmates. They got these three guys in California, violent felons, who escaped. Elaborate plan where they had to cut through grates and rebar. Someone snuck them in some tools and they managed to get away. One of these guys that got away has had previous uh, incarcerations, violent incarcerations, but this guy, they recovered him. And let me see if I can find the guy's name. Uh, Nayeri. Yeah, Nayeri is the guy's last name. And uh, this guy, Nayeri, was part of a kidnapping. He grew up in Fresno. And he was arrested in Prague uh, in 2013 because he had eluded authorities and escaped to Europe, right? And so he was arrested and extradited back to the U.S., for trial because he was part of four people who kidnapped a pot dispensary owner and tortured him with a blowtorch in the Mojave desert. What had happened is that he, this guy, Nairi ended up going for a weekend in Las Vegas, probably, you know, the hemp expo or whatever in Las Vegas. And they found out this guy and his friends found out that this guy was extremely rich. And so they, conspired a plan to kidnap and rob him they followed him for weeks where he kept making trips to the desert the mojave desert and so these four geniuses thought aha he's secretly burying money out in the desert so they kidnapped the guy now this is all this is all alleged this is all going to court so none of this is proven yet but they allegedly kidnapped this guy took him from his house with a hefty amount of cash, cash and his girlfriend who was there at the time, zip-tied the two of them, drove them to a van in the desert, tortured the dispensary owner with a blowtorch, probably, you know, from, you know, a dab torch, right? And then when they get him out to the desert, they cut off his penis, poured bleach on him to destroy DNA evidence, and kept the penis So it couldn't be reattached later. Dump the victims on the side of the road. The woman still in zip ties manages to run a mile down the road in the dark until she flags down a police car. And uh, they managed to get uh, some witnesses to the cars driving around to supply license plates that finally ended up catching this guy. They linked him to the crime through DNA through DNA evidence. And, uh, once he was, uh, once he, uh, was done with the kidnapping, he fled to Iran. <laughs> and Iran has no extradition t- treaty with the U.S., so U.S. investigators used a trick to get him to go to the Czech Republic. And once he landed in the Prague airport, he was, uh, he was arrested and extradited back to Orange County. He faces two counts of kidnapping for ransom and extortion or to commit robbery, or a sex crime, aggravated mayhem, torture, and burglary in the first degree. So, the thing that really burns me about this guy, this guy, Nairi, who cut the penis off a man and tortured him with a blowtorch, this guy, the only way he was able to do that at the time he did that is because previously he had been involved in a drunken driving incident. He killed someone in December of 2005. He was driving drunk and he crashed a vehicle of a 26-year-old friend who died in the accident. He posted bail and then bailed. And they finally caught him in Washington state. So he drives drunk, wrecks, kills a guy, jumps bail. And when they finally catch him and put him on trial and sentence him, convict him and sentence him for this drunk driving incident, he got one year in jail and the rest probation. One year in jail. There's another, uh, Indication that he may have fled a felony charge in 2007 as well. That's according to the court records. So it really bothers me that here's a guy who drives drunk and kills someone and he only gets a year, which leaves him free to then later kidnap, torture, and mutilate someone. And, and every time I see stories like this, I, I can't help but think, gosh, if only they'd have caught him growing some marijuana plants. If only they'd have caught him growing some marijuana plants, maybe there'd have been some mandatory minimum sentence. Maybe there'd have been some tough on pot judge that had put him in jail for a long, long time. But nope. All he did was kill somebody. So off you go. Go on out into society and create some more Mayhem. You know, I'm not anti-cop. I'm not anti-prison. I'm a very law and order guy. I just want our laws and order and prisons to be focused on the people who harm the rest of us. Not those people who are selling us and growing us some weed. And I think a lot of America agrees with me on this one.
1: This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com.
5: Gondrepreneur.com, your guide to the cannabis business world. Gondrepreneur.com is a comprehensive resource for cannabis professionals and entrepreneurs. Download the Gondrepreneur app on your smartphone or tablet to catch up on cannabis industry news, scroll through our daily job listings, and learn about successful cannabis companies, executives, and investors. Gondrepreneur.com. Helping Gondrepreneurs grow.
1: This is the Russ Belleville Show. Annoying Kevin Sabet since 2012.
0: Doc Rob, the concierge for better living. Cannabis is just
2: one of the many great plants that we have on this planet called Earth that we can use consciously
0: and intelligently to improve our well-being. Take a real, raw, inside look at healthier living while sharing great ideas and improvements for a better quality of life.
2: Learning to live and live well is a lifelong process. This is a journey. You could be 80 years old or 8 years old. You can still learn something that's going to make tomorrow a little bit healthier, a little bit easier, a little bit happier, a little bit Better.
0: The concierge for better living with Doc Rob. Only on cannabisradio.com.
2: The Fingerboard Extension has fretted instruments to enhance your creativity. It has new and used guitars and banjos from beginning to high class. The Fingerboard Extension has National Resophonic, Husson Dalton, Larrabee, Heritage and Recording King Guitars, and Mike Ramsey, Wildwood, Gold Tone, and Recording King Banjos. The Fingerboard Extension also has drum stuff, used gear, and parts. Stop by the Fingerboard Extension, downtown Corvallis, Oregon, at 120 Northwest 2nd, or check out the inventory on the web at fingerboardextension.com and reverb.com.
1: Arr, army pirates here. Arr, 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 arr. You're tuned into the Russ Bellville Show, the voice of the marijuana nation, only on cannabisradio.com. Welcome
2: back, everybody. Oh I'm taking it from all sides I gotta tell you <laughs> so lately some of my articles have been uh, <clears throat> attacking two different areas of what I call uh, fantasy legalization or true legalizers or stoners against legalization however you want to phrase it and it's funny to me I- I- I'm amused I'm amused by these true believers who get so righteously angry at me. One of the first things they like to do is when I, you know, first of all, the the, the generic, the generic theme here has been don't blow smoke up my skirt about your perfect true legalization until you can show me you've got the polling, the money, the professionals, and the signatures to actually win. You don't have to convince me how great your legalization is. This is the first thing that many of them try to do Is they come out. Well, marijuana is your cannabis. Hemp is phytoremediative and it will replenish the soils and hemp is a perfect crop for rotation and CBD has been shown to uh, reduce seizures and THC is a is good against uh, glioblastomas and cancer and uh, hemp seed oil provides the perfect. Yes, I know. Who do you think you're talking to? I literally spend every waking hour reading, writing, researching, analyzing, smoking, and talking about pot. It's all I do. I, I I just don't know what's going through their mind. Like they think like I somehow don't know this stuff, and if only I were enlightened, I would support their true legalization. And that's the second part that's wrong with their assumption is this idea that I don't support their goals. Look, if I could wave a magic wand and make pot legal nationwide, it'd be an 18-year-old age limit. There'd be no limits on personal possession or personal cultivation, so long as you can prove it's all personal. You're not doing it commercially on the side, right? I'd have... Public use and public display of marijuana as reasonably as we publicly allow alcohol, right? I'd have cannabis cafes with outdoor seating patios, right? And even for juveniles caught with marijuana, there'd be no criminal issue with that. We'd treat it, you know, maybe like minor in possession of alcohol, but probably less than that. So you don't need to convince me how great your pot legalization initiative is that has no limits and low taxation and frees the pot prisoners and you know, all the different things that you say about it. I'm with you. I'm all for that shit. Here's where we differ. I actually want to see shit get done. I actually want to see results. I guess because I'm not a person of faith, I, I demand evidence and and experimentation that leads to results and changing of tactics when said experimentation does not present any results. In other words, I want to get to the place where 18-year-olds can use as much pot as they like and and it's free and easy and hippy-dippy love and light. I'd love to get there. The difference is I think getting there takes a series of steps over a extended period of time where you think you true legalizers think that we can just jump to the pot legalization you want right now. And it just ain't going to happen. So I got these guys in Missouri who, who are proposing legalization Folks, literally, this legalization has no personal possession limit of marijuana or extracts, no cultivation limit on how many plants you can grow, no age limit as to who can do that, no limits on the public display of marijuana. You could smoke it anywhere you like and legalizes driving while smoking pot. Now, do you think I'm against any of that? No. I'm all, I'm all for it. I don't care if your 16-year-old smokes pot. A lot of them are. <laughs> I don't care if there's not a limit to how much is personal. So long as, you know, we can reasonably show that it's personal. I got no problem with freeing all the pot prisoners. That's another thing it does. It immediately frees all the nonviolent pot prisoners. And, and I don't have a problem with toking and driving. I know lots of people who do it. I've never been afraid when I've ridden with them. Well, you don't need me to vote for your legalization. Evidence will show you in my past history will show you that I will vote for every legalization, even the ones that everyone else thinks suck. I'm looking at you, Ohio. I always support legalization. You don't need to convince me. You need to convince The soccer mom, the NASCAR dad, the churchgoer, the senior citizen, the Republican, the Latino. There's a lot of people you need to convince that no way in hell are they going to support limitless, ageless marijuana that can be smoked and driven on. No possible way. So if you're out there trying to get people's hopes up on that, in a state that had no other marijuana reform, eh, fine, go for it, whatever. You're not going to win, you're not going to get on the ballot, but at least we're talking about it, and that's good. But when you're in a state like Missouri or California or Arizona, or what's the other one? No, I think those are the only ones that are left. If you're in one of those states that has professional, well-funded, uh, majority-polled language and you're trying to divert resources from that and actually trying to actively oppose that in the pursuit of your fantasy legalization, then we've got a problem. I take this really seriously. Like I said, it's all I do. This is all I do. This is all I care about professionally is legalizing marijuana, is ending the persecution of my fellow pot smokers Regardless of the reason they want to smoke pot, I want to end that nationwide. And I think the way you do it, based on the evidence that we've had 13 shots at legalizing that have made the ballot in the 21st century, 13 times it's made the ballot statewide, five times it's passed if we include D.C. as a state. None of them made the ballot as a grassroots all-volunteer unfunded initiative. None of them that made the ballot had wide open, limitless marijuana with no age limits that legalized smoking and driving. The one that came closest to that was Oregon 2012. Oregon 2012 had no limits on personal possession or cultivation, had a 21 age limit and didn't change the DUI laws. That's the the, Oregon 2012 has come the closest of any initiative that's made the ballot in the 21st century. It has come the closest to being the kind of true legalization that these type of people support. And it failed miserably the same exact year. Washington and Colorado were passing with flying colors. Voters had a look in three different states at legalization. Think of it as uh, Goldilocks and the Three Bears, right? They found the legalization in Washington was way too hard, right? Per se, DUIDs and no home grow, and it passed with flying colors. Colorado legalization, an ounce here, six plants there, really strictly regulated, passed with flying colors. Oregon legalization, no personal limit, no cultivation limit, failed by seven points while the others were passing by 10. And that's why I have the attitude I have now. I don't have any time anymore to put faith in these fairy tale legalization plans. I saw too many of my friends get ripped off working for and supporting the 2012 unfunded grassroots legalization that failed. Time's getting short and every year that marijuana is not legal in a state is another year that more people get arrested, more lives get ruined. So when there's a legitimate chance to make those reforms, you take it and you work hard for it and you try to win that battle and gain that ground. And then you work to get more ground. You work to get more reforms. You work to increase your territory. If we're going to use the war metaphor, these guys, these true legalizers would have been against the invasion of Normandy in World War II because it didn't immediately sack Hitler. Nope. We need to send paratroopers immediately into Berlin and sack Hitler right now rather than capture Normandy, capture France, move through Europe. Take it piece by piece, people. And the other side of this, there's another side that gets angry at me, and it's the religious marijuana people. Now they're starting to hit me up. We got the Anne Armstrong, the healing church people get it. THC, the healing church. Isn't that clever? THC, <laughs> isn't that clever? So we got that. And then we got some uh, Native American Oklahoma or whatever they're called here in Oregon that are on my uh, on my feed and they're all complaining because I poo poo their efforts to gain the legal right federally to use marijuana because of the first amendment, because it shall not infringe on an establishment of religion. And their religion says pot is holy. And so they get a special right to not be prosecuted. Once again, This is a situation where I don't disagree with you. I don't disagree with you. The problem I've got with this fighting for the religious right to use cannabis is twofold. Number one, it doesn't work. There have been so many attempts to establish the religious right to use cannabis, and they've all... Gone on the on the premise that the Native Americans and the Brazilian Indians through the Religious Freedom Restoration Act, it was recognized that they have the right to use ayahuasca and peyote in their ceremonies because they find them holy and they could use them as a sacrament. So if they can use peyote and ayahuasca, why can't other religious people like Rastas use ganja? And they think I disagree with them and I don't. I agree. I think your first amendment case is a good one. I think absolutely. I think you should uh, be able to use cannabis as a religious sacrament. The problem is the courts don't agree and there's longstanding precedent that says basically that there's this test they have to do in determining whether or not a religion can get away with using a sacrament. And that test is how much are we burdening the religion Versus how much are we burdening the federal government, right? The religion has the religious right to exercise its religion, but the federal government has the duty to enforce laws and keep us safe. So, if you belong to some Mayan death cult that believes in virgin sacrifice, your right to religion is outweighed by the federal government's duty to protect the civil rights of the people, namely the right to not be sacrificed as a virgin, So when it comes to cannabis, they do that same sort of test. They say, well, how much are we burdening this religion? Well, we're burdening them a lot if we say they can't use cannabis. But on the other hand, how much are we burdening the federal government if we say that anyone who claims to be a believer can then just break federal drug laws? In the case of the Indians and the Brazilians who use ayahuasca and peyote, the religion one. Because allowing them to use these drugs didn't substantially burden the federal government from keeping those drugs illegal. Namely, not a lot of people use those drugs, and the few people that do for religious purposes are pretty reliably identifiable and certifi- certifiably uh, sincere in their religious belief. But when it comes to the cannabis side... It tilts more on the federal government side because they realize the minute they say someone can use marijuana as a sacrament for their religion, we suddenly will have 28 million newly religious people joining Bob's Pot Church and the Healing Church and the Helping Church and the Herbal Church. All of these THC churches that will pop up out of nowhere and everyone will join them and then the federal government can't possibly keep marijuana illegal. And once that precedent is set, wait for the church of cocaine and the church of meth and the church of heroin. And everybody will say that any drug they want to use is something holy. And then there will be no federal drug laws whatsoever. So that's why the cannabis one has never really worked. But it goes beyond that to me. At the core of it, it just offends me as an atheist. When someone is saying that they have a First Amendment right for freedom of religion to be able to use cannabis as a sacrament, they are implicitly saying people who do not believe it is a sacrament do not have that right. And I refuse to subscribe to the idea that under American freedom, I have to believe in a certain religion to enjoy a civil right. To me, it's not the First Amendment that gives us the right to use cannabis. It's the Ninth Amendment that gives us the right to use cannabis. The enumeration of certain rights within this constitution is not meant to deny or disparage others retained by the people or the states. Translated. Just because we wrote down a bunch of rights in the constitution, that doesn't mean that's all your rights. Y'all still have a whole bunch of rights we didn't get, we didn't bother to write down. And as a bunch of hemp farmers in an agrarian economy, I can't believe that the founding fathers would have thought it necessary to write down the right to grow and consume cannabis. They might as well have written down, well, let's make sure we get down that everyone has the right to breathe oxygen. They couldn't have ever even conceived of someone preventing that right to plant crops and harvest the results and use them. That'd just be nonsense to them. They make no sense whatsoever to those people in that time. So that's my problem with the religious thing is that it feels a little elitist to me. It feels a little like we're special and we're going to get our special rights because we belong to the special God club. Now, they try to tell me, no, no, Russ, we believe in your right, too. We believe in your right, too. Well, if you do, then fight for my right instead of just fighting for your own specific right, your own little separate special right. I don't want to have to belong to any invisible sky fairy club to be able to smoke my pot. It's a civil right, and I should be left alone to enjoy it any way I choose. For any reason I choose. So, to all you haters out there, I'm the guy who supports the most legalization. I'm just practical about understanding the realities of how it actually becomes accomplished in this country. Stop trying to triple dog dare me to debate you publicly. Ooh, you won't dare debate me publicly. Motherfucker, I got a phone line right here. 971-533-7111. Open to the public. Broadcasting your thoughts for free every weekday at 4 p.m. Pacific time. Nut up and give me a call sometime all the time we got for today thanks for joining us i'll see you live in boise tomorrow and until next time take care of each other tokers
1: this is the russ bellville show the russ bellville show is blogging and podcasting daily at radicalrust.com. You take a
7: seed You plant it You grow it You dry it You
1: roll it You smoke it You take a seed You plant it You grow it You dry
6: it You roll it You smoke it You take a seed You plant it You grow it You dry it You roll it You smoke it And it goes past school
8: Flavor
2: Arguing for the end of adult marijuana prohibition is easy because we have facts, science, reason, compassion, evidence, truth, and logic on our side. It is even easier when researchers catalog it all for us. Learn how to gather the facts on marijuana use, arrests, seizures, rehabs, drug tests, and more in this edition of Drug War Data Mining. Welcome back, everybody. We go to the Oregon Drug War Data Mines today, specifically the website marijuana.oregon. Gov. And on that website, you can find a link to the cities and counties that have enacted bans on marijuana commerce.